Good evening. This is Melanin People Podcast, and my name is Yinka Adegoke. Tonight, I have with me um, Dr. David E. Jackson. He's all the way in Atlanta. Good evening, Dr. Jackson. Good evening, Yinka. How are you, my brother? I am doing. I am doing great. You know, we've been trying to get this thing going all night long, and uh, the devil is a liar. Hey, you know? Ain't no truth in it. <laughs> <laughs> the devil is a lie. Now we got it going, and I'm excited to have you on, on the Melanin People podcast. Um, I know that you know the hurricane is going, um, moving. Um, I don't know if it's moving very near to Atlanta. Um, but Not at all. Yeah, yeah. So we pray. We pray for the people that have been affected. And we we hope that you know God's gonna send a refuge and comfort, and um, you know, and our heart goes out to them, and we remember them tonight. I'm gonna go ahead and and um, give you a little bit of information about um, Dr. Jack Jackson. You know, I'm just excited to have him here tonight. He's a native of Atlanta, Georgia, so that's the first thing you gotta know. And um, he's a lead pastor of the Rock Atlanta or Rock ADL, right? Rock, Rock the Rock ATL International Fellowship. It's an Assemblies of God um, church, and they have a vision to release kingdom influencers into every sector. And that's one thing you will explain to us in a short while. You know, in the marketplace. Um, I think you know it's really specific to be in the marketplace, and he's a curriculum writer and trainer at the Jack McDowell School for Leadership Development at a Salvation Army, um, Evangeline Booth College in Atlanta, Georgia. So that's where the, the college is, right? It's in um, um, Atlanta, Georgia, and the name of the college is Evangeline Booth College, right? Yes, Benjamin Booth. She was the daughter of the founders of the Salvation Army. Oh, yes. and the first female general and the fourth general of the Salvation Army. All right. <laughs> In addition, Dr. Jackson is a CEO of D.E. Jackson Enterprises LLC, and so he's an entrepreneur, is a leader, is a pastor. Oh man, he's an educator. I mean, this is this is really it's too much for me to handle. You know, <laughs> Dr. Jackson received his bachelor's of arts from Cornell University, and master, baby. yeah, and master of divinity from um, Union Theological Seminary of New York. So he's been everywhere, you know, and uh, a doctor of ministry, right, from the New York Theological Seminary. Is currently a PhD student. Oh man, I don't want to read no more. Can you go ahead and, <laughs> and introduce yourself? So you got to shout out my org. <laughs> you got to shout out my org. I'm an alpha. You got to shout out alpha. For right. five, alpha I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish it. All right. So yeah. So he's currently a PhD student at a Jane Tides. College of Business and Entrepreneurial Leadership at the Southeastern University and is studying organizational leadership. Dr. Jackson is a recipient of several awards and honors, 
including the Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award and an honorary doctorate in humanitarian. So that's the doctorate and the third one is coming on the way. So this is really solid, you know, and is loaded. He's an author of two books and his third book scheduled to release in January 2020. And we hope to be in Atlanta to, to be there um, by God's grace. He's a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity incorporated and resides in South Fulton, Georgia. I present to you Dr. David E. Jackson. That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a long uh, epistle. You know, it's like I'm reading the book of Paul and all that, but it's fine. <laughs> hey, well, you know, I, you know, I think it's important for the people to know my background, you know, for those that don't know me, because we're, we're about to have a very serious and sensitive conversation yeah. and it's important to know that i'm not just going to be talking off the seat of my pants but um that i am speaking from an informed place not only from experience but also from an intellectual study place but yeah. it's good it's good to be with you Ginka. thank you for this opportunity hello to everybody um who is watching and listening and i hope that um you will be inspired and informed and even challenged in some ways as as a result of the conversation that my brother and I are about to have. So, hello to you. All right, so we're, we're, we're gonna be having a very um, interesting conversation right here. And we're gonna be discussing systemic racism. And it's it's a, it's a very, um, I, I, it's a very, um, how do I explain it? it it's a critical um, topic that we have to discuss in the light of um, what's happening in our community at this time and what's, what has been happening over a long time. And um, it's just something we need to talk about and we can't shy away from it, no matter what happens, you know, education wise and, and you know, um, in, in the main community, um, in the churches, you know, um, and that's also one area that is really, um, <laughs> um, really sensitive. You know, people don't want to talk about it, but you know, we will talk about it on this topic. Maybe not today, but we will talk about it um, in the church at work. Um, yeah, so it's something we really want to talk about. So my first question to you tonight is: What is systemic racism, Dr. Gax? So a lot of times people use the word systemic and structural interchangeably or synonymously. And basically what it is, is that it is social structures that have been built over a period of time mm. that disqualifies and discriminates against one group of people based upon race and at the same time promotes and uh, enriches the life of another race. That's just, you know, there's many different definitions, but as I understand the different definitions, that's mm. how I would. So in other words, this is not a isolated incident. Mm -hmm. This has been building over a period of time okay. and systems have been put in place socially, economically, politically, mm -hmm. to ensure that one race continues to move ahead. And they move ahead because of the access to things that allowed them to have a better quality of life. So access to home ownership, 
access to quality education, access to healthcare. Uh, but in order for that to happen, this happens on the back and at the expense of another race who then gets the opposite experience where they are consistently, systematically, institutionally denied access um, to the things that help to not only provide a, a better quality of life, but also gives them the ability to build and pass on things generationally. Because the other part of social racism is that the race that is allowed to enhance also is able to accumulate things that then pass on generationally when mm -hmm. the other race mm -hmm. that is discriminated against has very little or nothing to pass on outside of debt really and, and and a memory and the legacy of trauma and and discrimination so that's kind of how i would frame um, structural racism to be more specific uh structural racism in the united states um, has been framed around the notion of white privilege or white hegemony and and as a result of white privilege and hegemony, uh, blacks and other people of color, black, brown people, uh, for a long time, yellow people, red people, um, have then as a result of white privilege um, had to experience discrimination, um, lack of access, um, and that lack of access and discrimination has been uh, reinforced, perpetuated, um, has increased through systems and structures, be it politically, economically, educationally, and or socially. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So that word "structure" is is really is really expensive, and uh, expensive in this sense because the structure, if you look at a building, that's the the structural part of a building is the most important part of it. So like a foundation has been placed right there and this set of people, a set of individuals, a group of individuals have built a structure around the systemic racism. And um, it, it affects people of color. It, it affects us, you know, and um, most important, importantly, because this has been over a long period of time, I believe that it affects us like, you know, intellectual wise, it affects our mind. And, um, and some, sometimes that has created like a disability, you know, in, in, in our community, in, our, in the black and brown community, especially the black people. Um, so my, 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 my question right now will, to you will be like, how can we as a people, you know, handle these issues that are arising from systemic racism. Um, for example, uh, I think we have to be more specific right here. Um, if we talk about industrialization or we talk about, um, you know, um, entrepreneurship, because that, that's a focus right here. So let's bring it, down, bring, bring it down to that level. Let's talk about, you know, jobs. Let's talk about entrepreneurship. Let's talk about business. And let's talk about wealth. Because that's important. Sure. So uh, I want to circle back a little bit to something you said I think is important, and then I'll move quickly forward to what you asked in terms of what we can do about structural racism in terms of entrepreneurship, economics, and wealth. When you talk about structure, as you, I like the analogy you used around a building, the foundation has been put in place 
but then the structure is built upon that foundation and the structure is like the skeleton or the frame of the astral building. It doesn't matter what you do to the building cosmetically, um, the structure will remain. And when you speak about structure from an organizational leadership perspective, I teach organizational leadership and I'm actually, you know, getting a PhD in organizational leadership. And when you start talking about structure, you're talking about the people, right? Structure is different from systems, right? Yep. Structure is the people, it's, it's the notion of having the right people in the right seat on the bus to kind of use Jim Collins' concept, right? The right people on the right seat on the bus. So you cannot talk about structural <laughs> race without talking about the people that keeps this reality in place. And then they use the systems, which are the institutions mm -hmm. or uh, standards or the criterias to perpetuate. So when you start talking about structural racism in terms of entrepreneurship and finance and wealth, you must recognize that there are people who intentionally, and I will honestly say there's a lot who don't intentionally perpetuate it, but because they are a part of a system, system yeah. that, in, that puts certain types of people with certain types of mentality in place Sometimes we, even ourselves as black people or people of color, are perpetuating systems and realities of racism because it's, it's so ingrained in American culture. Uh, and as much as we may say we are a post-racial society, we also must recognize that this is a hundreds of years of, of, of reality in the making. This didn't just happen yesterday. So let's talk about that in terms of money. If you are um, a black business owner who's trying to get a loan to start your business and they have all of these criteria um, that must criteria rather that must be met in order for you to qualify for a loan. Um, we know historically credit has been used to disqualify people of color mm. from a systemic perspective. Mm. Um, well, let me just bring it even, even close to my reality. Um, you know, it wasn't mentioned in my bio, but I served in law enforcement for almost five years. Yeah. And um, I served in a mostly, you know, I served in a metropolitan urban department. Is that, what, was, was that in New York City? No, that's in Atlanta. I served at the Atlanta Police Department, which is a mostly uh, urban, it is an urban inner city uh, department very diverse, but it is uh, significantly black and brown folks that serve in that department. Um, when I applied, they did a background check and the sense of background check. But I, before I applied to Atlanta, I applied to a uh, suburban department. In fact, in the community I grew up in, I went to school, high school there. I knew the chief of police. I actually called the chief of police directly on the phone because he has known me since I was a kid. And I was like, surely, I'm going to get hired in this department. I'm an Ivy League graduate and a master's at that time and was finishing up my first doctor's degree. Surely they would hire a homeboy. <laughs> they did not hire me. And part of it was my credit at the time was not best. So they used my credit as an indication of my ability to police, my uh, integrity, my character. They used all of these things. And when you begin to look at these systems 
that they may say is just in place to ensure that people meet the qualifications and standards. But when these systems have been rooted in a history that has intentionally for years been designed to discriminate and to be uh, gatekeepers to keep certain people out and only allow certain people in, you can't tell me that magically overnight things that we use to disqualify and keep people out are now just universal standards and qualities uh, um, in your organization. So, you know, I just thought it was interesting that this suburban um, agency had these things in place and I wasn't uh, a, a considerable candidate, but I go to APD and, you know, I'm sure they probably checked my credit, but that wasn't, you know, they asked me some questions, I answered my questions, fine. Um, and I think we have to think about that when people have applied for loans and they've been denied, or people, they go to check their credit and they say their credit is not at an appropriate level. But then when you look at years and decades of people being denied access to employment to then bring in the resources, to then pay their debts, to then get their credit score at a certain level. When you look at people who um, can walk into a bank and get a loan because of what they look like or who their parents are, and you hear people who really have a dream and have worked hard to get to the place to even go to a bank, and they're turned away merely because of what they look like. And then it's justified with these systems, these institutional standards that do have their foundation and origin um, and the discrimination. Uh, it's problematic. I hope I'm not being so, I'm trying not to be so. I get it, I get it. But what what, what can we do? Because so, now we, we've been talking about this for a while now. What can so, we, so, people of color, what can we start to do? Because for me, I do not agree with um, when we keep blaming people for our own disabilities. What do we do? Because um, this is one thing that I tell people every time. I still, I mentioned it to someone today. I said that if you're not in control, then you have no power. So how do we as people of color, um, you know, encourage one another or how do we come together to to start understanding how the structures uh, have been built and we have to work it in our own favor how do we start doing that what are the things that you think that we, we, we need to do sure the first thing you just said we have to know the system a lot of us we are not educated we have not educated ourselves on what it is we're facing you can't fight something that you don't know you're facing. Hmm. And once you know what you're facing and what you're fighting against, then you can develop a strategy. And I think a lot of times, like you say, we spend a lot of time complaining about the system, the man, white people holding us down. No, educate yourself. If you know that you're being discriminated against with your finances, with uh, lack of education or whatever, go to seminars, look it up, study and find out what it is that's blocking you, what is the systems that are in place, and then come up with a strategy for how you're going to get around because every rule has a loophole. Mm -hmm. And I think people as color, we have to learn how to use the loopholes. We have to learn how to get around these things and stop pitching a tent at the blockage. And I think a lot of us are just sitting at the block. We have pitched the tent and we're crying as a river. That's and we don't have time to sit around crying a river over they blocked me because I didn't have a credit score. 
figure out how to beat the credit system. Well, they didn't give me a loan because I didn't have enough collateral. Figure out what you need to do to get more collateral or to be more loan worthy. Well, they wouldn't give me the job because they said I don't have the education. What education do you need to go and get? Or what is a way to get into what you want to get into from the back way? There is always, listen, one of the things I've learned is that every rule has an exception, but the exception reinforces the rule. And we have to learn how to find the exceptions if the rule is set up against us. That's true. And that's what we don't. We got to think. One of the things I tell my leaders all the time is if I've assigned you to do something, I don't want to hear a whole bunch of excuses about why it can't be done. Get creative and figure out how to get around it and resolve it. And that's the first place. The second thing is there are people who've been alive way longer than we have. You don't think they dealt with the same things we dealt with, sometimes worse than what we're dealing with. We have to tap into the wisdom of the age. We have to go back. And that was part of the strength of people of color. We were not so divided by generations. Old people and middle-aged people and young people, we were more together. And the young sat at the feet of the old and they listened to their wisdoms. They listened to their stories. We are oral people. We are a narrative people. We sat at the feet of our ancestors and we listened to what they had to say. But now we're so busy. We, you know, so many of us think we know and that was your time. This is my time. Or I got to create my own way. No. One of the one of the most valuable things I have in my life is I'm surrounded by people who have lived. I'm surrounded by pastors and leaders who are in their 70s and 80s who have been at the top of their game who can guide me. And I listen to what they say. And I ask them, hey, I'm being blocked right here. How do I get around that? Well, son or Dave, this is how you do it. And I listen to them. So the question is, who has gone ahead of you successfully Mm-hmm. that you are listening to, that you are asking for their advice. Now, you may have to eat the meat and spit out the bones, but at least you got something to work with. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel. And I think a lot of times we think we're so smart and we're so witty, and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful, that you don't feel like you can listen to the people who came ahead of you because for some reason their reality is different from yours. That's nothing new. The Bible says nothing new under the sun. So get that wisdom. The third thing I would say, the way to deal with it is I think a lot of times we try to, we feel like dealing with it is confronting it. And sometimes confronting racism in the wrong way at the wrong time can backfire on you. Mm. The Bible says to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Sometimes you got to know what you're dealing with and keep your mouth closed and do more action than talking. I think a lot of times we do a whole lot of talking and not enough action. That's just like going and sitting in the office with your white boss and pulling the race car. I think you gave me a bad evaluation because I'm black. Or I think that you won't give me certain assignments because I'm black. So now what you've done is you have alerted your white boss that you think that there's racism there. Versus saying, okay, I pick up that this may be because of structural racism or because of whatever. Let me first document what's going on because if it's not on paper, it ain't happening. And then let me figure out how I'm going to address this situation, get around it. Can I figure out, can I survive in this organizational culture and advance? Or is it time for me to transition to another culture? And you need to be clear about what environment do I need to be in to advance despite structural racism? And I'll start right 
All right. So you mentioned education, you mentioned mentorship, and you mentioned wisdom. So three things right here from Dr. Jackson tonight. And he mentioned education. I'm just repeating it for listeners. Maybe, you know, they didn't get it really, but you have to be educated. And when we say educated right now, we're not asking you to go get free uh, PhDs like Dr. Jackson. You know, the internet is a great tool for every one of us. Absolutely. And there are different places on the internet that you can learn things. You can learn how to code. You can learn how to, you know, create videos. You can learn how to write. You can learn how to develop skills that you have never imagined that you can ever acquire. And these things you can learn with $10, $19, you know, some courses go for like six, 600. Let me give, give them an example. Cause I know a lot of people will listen to this podcast. Now I wanted to learn about ethical hacking, right? And that's in the world of cybersecurity. And I'm not a computer scientist. I'm not a computer engineer. Um, so I had to figure out what to do. So searching online, looking online, I started talking to a lot of people. And one of the people that I spoke to found a deal online. And this deal was a package for an entire class that was supposed to cost me $950. This person sent it to me. They were doing a, a sales and it was just $35. Okay. So I bought a whole package. But the thing now was that I had this whole um, thing that I had to study in there to to start acquiring the knowledge that I needed. Now, I have some certain certificates for all these things. And so if I come, if it's on LinkedIn and everywhere, they send me emails every time, even for jobs, I'm like, oh, wow. So this kind of jobs exist. What I'm saying is I would never have been able to, to even be in front of these recruiters or companies if I didn't go an extra mile and educate myself. I didn't go to a university or Cornell, I, I mean, I went to a university, <laughs> I'm an engineer, but for that, I didn't have to go to one university to, to, you know, to study because education is all around us and black people and people of color, um, especially in America, you know, most of us are not doing enough education. We're not. And, and especially in, in the entrepreneurship, you know, field, we're not doing enough education. We're not being creative enough. We are more like end users. And um, can I have one thing to that, please? Yeah, go go ahead. So another another thing that can help us is I'm, I was just thinking about uh, Booker T. Washington, and one of the things you know is this whole debate between him and the boys over classical versus practical education. Okay. One of the things that uh, Booker T. Washington made very clear is that if you have a skill that's in demand. It don't matter what color you are. <laughs> people is going to use your skill. So I think part of what we as people of color need to realize is what is in demand. As the mm -hmm. world is shifting and we have more artificial intelligence, yeah. we have more automation, yeah. we need to stop tracking ourselves and our children into fields that's in 10 or 15 years. Yeah, now, 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 now we're dealing about the issues itself. These are the main issues why systemic racism keeps on ampering and armoring us and pressing us down because we're not doing the things that matter. Right. We need we're to do not, things that matter. 
yeah. Think, 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 think about technology. Think about all these big platforms, all the social media. Even think about um, the food industry, restaurant. Think about it. You know, you see all this noise going about with Popeyes everywhere. Um, it's about everybody. I'm like, what's going on? I'm not saying it's bad. You know, it's not bad. You know, but I'm, I'm, I want to see like a, a Jackson restaurant something on, on the news on, on the CNN and everyone's talking about it. And what's going on? I'm going to eat some burger. You know, that's the kind of thing I want to see too. You see, but we don't understand that we have this 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 magnificent power of e economics you know as black people i think i believe it's about over three three trillion dollars right now in the u.s economy every year that's crazy dollars and so if you look at all these systems in hollywood and the movies and the fashion industry advertising right now everyone is trying to move to the black dollar because they understand that we are not well educated in these fields. We are not well educated in these industries. They're trying to capitalize on it. And that's what we're trying to tell people right now. We're trying to educate our people um, that we also need some control. How do you get control? Education, mentorship, you know, you need to be in the right place. You need to network. And we need, we need, we need these over and over and over and over again now we have we have the, the advantage like i said before to start giving these things to our kids you know people in in their 20s people in their teens people in their five-year-old six-year-old you know there are a lot of things we can learn from asians we can learn from caucasians we can learn from all these people teach our kids to have the right skills you know to, to go ahead i'm gonna ask you another question in what ways because we also have our own fault right we have our fault as people of color in what ways the people of color as individuals and as a collective perpetuate racism in our community and in particular in your institution so i think we internalize racism um and it shows up in colorization you know light skin is all right and dark skin needs to get back um and how we talk about ourselves how we view ourselves standards of beauty um lyrics and songs all of these things are a lot of times uh, comes out of how we have internalized racism even if we want to internalize it or not i was reading an article um, that you shared with me uh, and I thought it was very interesting the story that the author shares about how three women, Donna K. Bivens, uh, what is internalized racism. And she was giving this story in the beginning of the article about how she was standing around with two other black women at mm -hmm. this white function. Yeah. And, you know, she met them a year ago. And they just, you know, chopping it up, talking. And the whole white woman comes up saying, don't tell me that the black women stand in the corner talking. Get out and meet folks. And just how they froze but they quietly dispersed and went. And I would have been like, first of all, I can talk to whoever I want to talk to. And you ain't gonna come up and tell me, you didn't go tell these white people, they y'all need to stop talking to each other. But that's a reality that black people deal with all the time, right? If you are the minority in a room or in a group, you can't even come together and talk. And we've internalized that because we respond to it. We feel like we have to explain or justify why, you know, why can't I talk if, if you and I were in a room 
with 50 other white people or, or Asian people or whoever, why can't me and you sit together and talk? Why is that a problem? And then why do we feel like we, or, or how about this? You in a place is just a handful of blacks and a handful of Hispanics, and you feel like you can't speak to each other because you don't wanna you know, make it look like you're just speaking because they're black. These are all responses to internalized racism. And we need to stop this foolishness. Like we need to stop it. It's okay to speak to other people of color in the room. It's okay to acknowledge our our black ontology, our Hispanic <laughs> ontology. That's a big word for our being. Own your being, like own the space. You beautiful black kings and queens, own the space and stop apologizing for who you are in the room. You know, my first book is called Work Your Room. And I'm really big about when you get in your room, which is your space, your moment, your opportunity, your sector, your field, own it. Bring all that beautiful chocolateness and brownness in the room and stop apologizing. But if you don't realize that you bring greatness in the room, yeah, because of history, like decades and centuries of images through caricatures and through subliminal messages and then the structural racism on top of that and we see ourselves as not being good enough we see our features as not being good enough i'm so loving the natural hair movement on your hair yes you can. i see you with your fro my brother own it own it right i got my beard i'm owning it okay <laughs> I wear my Afrocentric and <laughs> I wanna and I dare you to tell me it's not professional. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I think that's part of it, right? Those things and how we talk about each other, how we ourselves discriminate against each other, how uh, we uh, each other, how mm -hmm. we feel like it's too many black people in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how many of y'all saw the movie Ma with, uh, with Octavia Spencer. Uh, but that it was a scene in that movie that blew me back. It was one little black boy in the town, all these white folks. And when she went to him, the kids up at the M, she painted his face white. She says, too many black people in the room. I'm the only black person in the room. And I'm just like, <laughs> sometimes I do that. It's like, if it's too many black people in the room, then you're going to jeopardize my spot. That's internalized racism. Mm -hmm. And we, we have to, so we sabotage our colleagues thinking that we're going to maintain our space in the room because there's only space for one of us in the room and it shouldn't be like that. Hmm. All right. <laughs> okay, so we, we, we're sabotaging ourselves because we feel like, oh, these guys don't have enough space for us and now that I'm in here, you better not come near this place, right? So, mm -hmm. mm, mm. But listen, the Bible's clear. Your gifts will make room for you Yep. And bring before great men. And that word room, make room for you in Hebrew, suggests that the space expands to accommodate your interest into the space. So when you come into a space that God's ordained for you, you're not encroaching upon anybody in the space if God ordained the space for you. If he hasn't and you maneuvered your way in there, then it's going to feel like you're crowding people. But if God has brought you in the room because you know what you're working with, you know your gifts, you know your skills, you know the experiences you bring to the table, and God has ushered you into that space, it expands. That's literally what it means. It expands to a We as people of color must realize that we have been endowed 
with God-given abilities and talents. There are things that black and brown people can do, nobody else can do like us. And so those things are gonna bring us into moments. That's why organizations hire you despite structural and systemic racism. They know they need you in the room. And so realize that they need you in the room and don't let them pull a lebonic trick on you. Don't let them play Laban on you. Mm -hmm. You know, Laban, Jacob's father-in-law, who makes Jacob feel like he needs him when it's really the other way around. Laban know he has prospered because of Jacob. Yep. But yet he playing Jacob because Jacob feels like he has to be there because he won't Rachel. And so sometimes we play ourselves and we let the system make us think we need the system when the system need us. Because yeah. it's something we bring that can't nobody else bring and do like we can do. And so then we get caught up, we get caught up with Laban, which is the system a lot of times dangling the carrot in front of us, making us think that they're gonna ever, they're gonna give us what we've been wanting. No, they're never gonna give us what we want, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you gotta, like I always say, you gotta work Leah to Rachel produce. <laughs> Meaning sometimes you got to deal with the system and work your dream on the side until your dream is strong enough and viable enough to sustain you. So now you're not having to be subjected to the system, but you can function in what you've been endowed by the, by the creator to do. But mm -hmm. you gotta know how to play the game, but don't get caught up in the game until you can do what it is you want to do. And so know that you are in the space, you're not an encroachment in the space. And if you have been put in that space by God, you shouldn't be threatened by other black folks or the brown folks and shouldn't be, be threatened by anybody else for that matter. Mm -hmm. You gotta be confident that God put you there to do something. And as long as you know that, and you know what you've been put there to do, there is no intimidation. So then you can fight. See, the other part of that is emotional intelligence. When we come into awareness of self, then we can regulate ourselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us, we're not aware that we are operating out of a deep level of internalized racism because of structural racism. Therefore, we cannot regulate our tendencies to engage in internalized racism and then thereby perpetuate structural racism. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll be rounding off very soon, but I wanted to tell us a little bit about your, your company. Can you tell us a little bit about your company, what you do, what it's all about? You know, because we're all about entrepreneurship here. I want to know your, your part of entrepreneurship. And then we want you to talk about your books. You know, we want to know about the, the books you've written, just a summary of it. And then um, we're going to stand rounding off. Sure. So uh, I'm the CEO and founder of D.E. Jackson Enterprises. Uh, one of the things I'm very, very big on is knowing your purpose. Your wealth and your success is connected to your purpose and your gifts. Mm -hmm. I have a wealth of education. I come from an educational family. We're all teachers in some way. And so I have capitalized on that. And when I say capitalize, that means I know my purpose and I know where my gifts lie. And you have to learn how to monetize. That's what's wrong with a lot of us. We don't know how to monetize our gifts. Mm. We don't know how to put structure and systems around our gifts and purpose to cause it to, to cause us to prosper and increase. So for me, DJS Enterprises was about me being able to package the education, the training, and the coaching that I, I provide. So first of all, coaching. I am a certified life coach. I walk with people to help them figure out how they get from point A to point B. I love walking with people um, in that process for whatever period of time they want me to. I also am an author. I've published two books. First one is Work Your Room. 
Okay. Eight principles of finding success in your purpose. Again, that scripture, your gifts make room for you and bring you before great people. You got to know your gifts. You have to recognize when you're in the room and to not deal with great people. My second book, Hope That Make of Not Ashamed, is a collection of sermons that help people to find hope when they go through dark seasons. And people probably know what it feels like to go through a dark season, but you cannot lose your hope. And when I was studying that to write that book, hope there is literally described as a shelter that protects your faith. So if you ever lose your hope, you have now removed the covering and protection of your faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so there's four sermons, one in there, I always tell people to breathe on their hand. And when you breathe on your hand, I say, if you're still breathing, you have not missed it. And some people feel like they've missed their it. I don't know what your it is, but you may feel like because of racism, because of missed opportunities, because of lack of information, you have missed your moment. But as long as you're breathing, you still have an opportunity to fulfill your purpose and to walk into your it. Uh, my third book that's coming out at the top of the year is called The Commander's Invitation. And it's teaching people how to use prayer and declarations and decrees to get results. I'm really big about manifestation and results. What's the point of praying, positive affirmation, you meditating, you going to church, you, you're engaging in your religious practice and you don't see results. What's the point, right? Outside of building a, a good relationship with God, of course, we want to build our relationship with God. But outside of that, why engage in spiritual disciplines with no results? And so I'm just adding to a literature of, that's already there on commanding your morning, on praying, taking advantage of the beginning of your day. And this is my contribution one of, the, one of the unique things in that book is talking about the three M's of manifestation. What are the three M's of manifestation? It is the mind, it is the mouth, and the mechanics. When you understand the mind, the mouth, and the mechanics of manifestation, you can get results in mostly anything you're looking to get. So that's my third book. So I do the coaching, I do books, but I also provide training, preaching, and teaching. Um, I bring together my years of law enforcement, private security, and agency experience to help churches to better secure themselves. Every time we see a shooting in a church, pastors start calling me, you know, Dave, can you come through and train my people, and train my security, can you train? So I do that type of training. But I also do leadership training for ministries and organizations that's trying to get their people to the next place. So that's my business. I figured out how to systematize and monetize my ability to coach, teach, and write. I like that. Enterprise, and I take those aspects and I bring it to the marketplace to the Salvation Army, and I bring it to the church as a lead pastor and training my people. Don't get caught up in just being in church. I want you winning money through Saturday, and a lot of times, mm -hmm. how often is your Sunday morning experience connected to your Monday through Saturday? Because for most people, if you can't make the connection from what is happening on Sunday to what you're doing Monday through Saturday. People really don't see the need in the porn and get up and going to church. So that's why part of why the attendance is falling off and people can just watch online. But when you help them see that gathering together and fellowship and experiencing God and hearing the word in such a way that it empowers you to gain territory and advance God's agenda wherever you have been assigned. That's what I mean by second. Wherever you've been assigned to work or what we call the seven cultural mountains, to go there and to represent God well and gain strategic positions of authority and influence because from those places, you can better advance God's agenda. We are part of God's plan for humanity and for history. And when we find out what that place is and what that assignment is, 
listen, nothing's gonna stop you. Not even racism. You can you can hate me because I'm black all day long. I bet you I'm gonna win, and I bet you I'm yeah. gonna get where I need to get, and I bet you I'm gonna do what God put me here to get. But you, if you don't know that and believe that at your core, things like racism will stop you. Things like discrimination prejudice will stop you. And then, like I said earlier, you bitch a tent. And you start crying and complaining, but ain't nobody got time for that. Get up. Stop crying and complaining. Pack up your tent <laughs> and get yourself to where God said you're supposed to be. Amen. Amen. So how do we find you on social media? How do you find you on Facebook? If you're sure. on Instagram, Twitter? Yeah. You know, how do we I'm all over. So oh. my handle on all of those is the same, at D.E. Jackson I.I. Or you can just Google Dr. David E. Jackson and post up all my social media stuff. You can hashtag D-R-D-E-J-I-I and post up all my stuff. I'm there. I have a daily quote. I have a daily moment with Jackson, which is like a one-minute inspirational video. Right. Um, I put preaching clips. I'm constantly trying to find ways to inspire you and motivate you to be the very best God made you to be. All right. Thank you very much again. One more time, Dr. Jackson. It's been a great session here at the Melody People Podcast, and I'm really, you know, I'm more than happy that you were able to make it. You know, we tried so so hard to, to make it happen tonight, and I was like, we gotta make it happen because the devil is a liar. So devil, you lost this. Yeah. All right, so if, if you were listening to the sound of our voice on, on our podcast, audio, video, um, I'll save audio right now if you listen to the sound of a voice on the podcast, Apple, um, you listen to us on Spotify, on um, Amazon, on Google, you know, um, whatever media you're using to stream us right now. Uh, we want to say thank you for listening to us. And this is Melodine People. We're all about, you know, positive stories of people of color. We want to showcase that in videos and pictures, in documents. I want to showcase that in networking, in exports, and true creativity. So you can find us at www.melaninpeople.com. Simple, melaninpeople.com. You can find us on Instagram at melaninpeople with an extra E at the back. All right, so the best way for you to find Dr. Jackson, which was the best way for me to find him, was to go on Google and do Dr. David E. Jackson. If you like, you can have Atlanta, Georgia, and it spills everything out for you. All right, guys, I want to thank you. I want to thank you again, um, Bishop. I want to thank you, Pastor. I want to thank you for coming to our show. And um, we'll love to have you again another time because there's a lot that we want to talk about. And we also, that we can collaborate with you and we can come over to another to do like uh, training sessions on um, for our people in the community, especially for young adults, for young men, for young ladies. And we want to talk more on entrepreneurship. We want them to start, you know, acquiring skills that are beneficial. And when I say skills, like we said before, skills that are relevant, you know, yes. skills that are relevant. We want to start encouraging people to do more science technology engineering maths because technology is the way how we want to start telling our people to acquire organizational skills leadership skills mentorship and we're building these systems at melaninpeople.com where we want to connect leaders like you 
to people out there who cannot easily reach you, who want to bring a bridge and bring a connect so that they can easily reach out to you. And you can actually, maybe it's going to be five minutes in your night or 10 minutes, you know, but it's going to be a blessing for the community because that's what we want to do. We want to keep marching forward and want to make this difference and want to see and look back in the next 10 years and see how much effect we've made. All right, guys, we're going to go right now. Um, I believe that it's 12.39 a.m. right here in Atlanta. And here in Houston, it's 11.39 p.m. Thank you very much, Dr. Jackson. And My I pleasure. hope to see you again another time. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>